0: Leviticus 22, these are God's words. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, and that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me. I am Yahweh. Say to them, Whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations, who goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicate to Yahweh, while he is has uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am Yahweh. Whatever man of the descendants of Aaron who is a leper or has a discharge shall not eat the holy offerings until he is clean. And whoever touches anything made unclean by a corpse or a man who has had an emission of semen or whoever touches any creeping thing by which he would be made unclean or any person by whom he would become unclean, whatever his uncleanness may be, The person who has touched any such thing shall be unclean until evening, and shall not eat the holy offerings, unless he washes his body with water. And when the sun goes down, he shall be clean, and afterward he may eat the holy offerings, because it is his food. (coughs) Whatever dies naturally, or is torn by beasts, he shall not eat, to defile himself with it. I am Yahweh. They shall therefore keep my ordinance, lest they bear sin for it, and die thereby, if they profane it. I, Yahweh, sanctify them. No outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells with the priest or a hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. But if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it, and one who is born in his house may eat his food. If the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she may not eat of the holy offerings. But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced and has no child, and has returned to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat her father's food. But no outsider shall eat of it. And if a man eats the holy offering unintentionally, then he shall restore a holy offering to the priest and add one-fifth to it they shall not profane the holy offerings of the children of israel which they offer to yahweh or allow them to bear the guilt of the trespass when they eat their holy offerings for i yahweh sanctify them and yahweh spoke to moses saying speak to aaron and his sons and to all the children of israel and say to them whatever man of the house of israel or of the strangers in israel who offers a sacrifice any of his vows, or for any of his freewill offerings, which they offer to Yahweh as a burnt offering, you shall offer of your own freewill a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats, whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be accepted in your behalf. And whoever offers the sacrifice of a peace offering to Yahweh to fulfill his vow, or a freewill offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted, there shall be no defect in it. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or eczema or scabs, you shall not offer to Yahweh, nor make an offering by fire of them on the altar to Yahweh. Either a bull or a lamb that has any limb too long or too short, you may offer as a freewill offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. You shall not offer to Yahweh what is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land, nor from a foreigner's hand shall you offer any of these as the bread of your God, because their corruption is in them and defects are in them. They shall not be accepted on your behalf. And Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, When a bull or a sheep or a goat is born, It shall be seven days with its mother, and from the eighth day, and thereafter, it shall be accepted as an offering made by fire to Yahweh. Whether it is a cow or a ewe, do not kill both her and her young on the same day. When you offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to Yahweh, offer it of your own free will. On the same day it shall be eaten, you shall leave none of it until morning. I am Yahweh." Therefore you shall keep my commandments and perform them. I am Yahweh, you shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am Yahweh, who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am Yahweh. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. The Holy Spirit has given us an indication, the end of verse 9, the end of verse 16, and uh, towards the end of verse 33 of uh, the different places where there are section summaries, I, Yahweh, sanctify, uh, I sanctify them, verse 9, I sanctify them, verse 16, and then um, not uh, verse 33, the end of verse 32, I am Yahweh. Who sanctifies you now the first uh, section then ends in verse nine they therefore they shall therefore keep my ordinance lest they bear their sin for it and die thereby and that reminds us of course uh, intentionally takes us back to chapter ten where right before he gave that statement about how they must distinguish the holy from the unholy and the clean from the unclean and teach all of the Lord's statutes to Israel in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 10. You remember in uh, verse 8 and 9 of chapter 10, he gave the prohibition uh, of drinking alcohol when they are uh, going to be in the tabernacle, which may have been uh, related to the grieving. You remember uh, in chapter 10, that was preceded uh, immediately by warnings against ordinary sorts of grieving that would have profaned the tabernacle because uh, they couldn't remove their hat uh, or put ashes on their head because they were wearing the holy hats. They mustn't tear their garments because they were uh, wearing their holy garments and they were not to leave because they were in the middle of, well, at the end, at the climax uh, of their consecration as priests. Uh, And so they were not to leave the temple precinct at the time and their uncles had to come carry away the bodies. So you remember uh, all of that, but uh, when he gave the instruction about not drinking alcohol when they're coming on duty uh, in the temple, uh, he said, so lest you die, that the instruction that was being given for the priesthood uh, was a life-saving, life-preserving uh, instruction so that they could perform their ministry properly. Well, we have the same summary uh idea here in verse nine, don't we, after verses one through eight and uh if we uh if we pay good attention then uh to verses one through eight, uh we see that the uh the priests are to uh treat the Lord's name as holy uh, and they have been consecrated for this holy duty, so there's that holy verse common. That has been the subject of verse, of chapters seventeen through twenty one and then even the even as those who are consecrated as holy, they also had to distinguish not just uh, those who can come near because they are holy but between the clean and the unclean the The consecrated one, the holy one, could not come near uh, just at any time he could only come near when he was in a state of being ceremonially clean. And so that's what's behind this instruction in verse 2. Speak to Aaron and his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of Israel. And we can see that this is for the purpose of making sure that only when they were in a verified state of cleanliness, ceremonial cleanness, could they come near. And you can see that in verse 3. Uh, whoever of your descendants throughout your generations who goes near the holy things, while he has uncleanness upon him, that person shall be cut off from my presence. Uh, And so there's this uh, summary uh, reference in verses 4 through 8, which refers to different parts of that uncleanness section uh, in chapters 11 through 15. And we comprehend then, uh, or verses 4 through 8 comprehend, the whole of the cleanliness code uh, and the necessity of those who are consecrated as holy to be clean when they come near. And so all of this uh, is a right response to the great holiness of the Lord, that they do not profane my holy name, by what they dedicate to me. Uh, I am Yahweh. Therefore, they that's from uh, verse 2 and then verse 9. They shall therefore keep my ordinance lest they bear sin for it and die thereby if they profane it. I, Yahweh, consecrate them or sanctify them uh, as holy. Uh, And so what the Lord is reminding us here is that he has not compromised or diminished or reduced his holiness in order to bring them near. Remember, that was the great problem. Once the Lord, uh, once the Lord's glory inhabited the tabernacle uh, at the end of Exodus 40, uh, Moses was not able to enter. And in the beginning of the book of Leviticus, Yahweh cries out, which is uh, actually the name of the book in Hebrew is He Cries. Or he cried. He cried out. This is just the first, uh, word, the verb there at the beginning of the book. But Yahweh cried out from within the tabernacle and gave, uh, these offerings, which literally, you know, where you see the word offering, remember, it's, it's a form of the word to, for bringing near. These brought near things, uh, he gave them as a way by which, uh, Israelites could draw near to him. Uh, could be uh, atoned for uh with the uh, sin and the trespass offering could ascend in the ascension offering uh you remember that the where the english says burnt offering it's just the ascension uh and they ascend bringing tribute uh, in what is called the grain offering because ordinarily the the tribute was grain but uh where you see the word grain offering in our English translations, it's just the Hebrew word for tribute. Uh, and having ascended with the tribute, then they could enjoy the peace. Uh, and it is the, the peace, the fellowship, uh, offering with the Lord, that is especially going to be dealt with in the third uh, part of this chapter. But the Lord had given them the the way of drawing near to him, and he had done it, not... Uh, by relaxing his holiness, but by giving them uh, his instruction for how to come near the holy God, which is why it was so dangerous to come in any other way than he had said and he had executed Nadab and That's why it was so dangerous to come in a condition other than he has said, uh, which, uh, even for those who are holy, to come in an unclean manner and so you see not how great are the bulls and the goats and the grain and the oil and all of the other things uh, but how great is the Lord Jesus himself uh, that God gives us to come near to him in Christ uh, because uh, Christ is God the Son uh, and he is the propitiation for our sins Uh, and in him we may be fully atoned, in him we may fully ascend. Coming with him in hand, he is tribute worthy of the living God himself, and in him we have fellowship in and with God himself in the Lord Jesus. And so great is the glory of Christ uh, in that um, these shadows and symbols uh, all look forward to him and God here teaching us, reminding us. He isn't relaxing his glory. He isn't relaxing his holiness. Uh, that reminds us then, doesn't it, that uh, we must come, of course, in the New Testament only in the way that God has given us to draw near to him in the New Testament. If we invent our own things, um, then we come without Christ. We cannot decide how to come through Christ. We know that we must come through him so that it's not merely the actions of the worship by which we come, but in those actions we come resting upon the Lord Jesus, united to him, cleansed by his blood, made worthy in him and His himself as our righteousness. And in that way, uh we by faith and union with him and the work of the spirit uh do enter into the presence of god who is um who sits enthroned above the cherubim not um hammered out gold things in a tent or a house in the ancient near east but who makes his presence uh, his glory to be displayed in the third heaven above actual cherubim right now uh and and in the ascended, the risen and ascended and seated, Lord Jesus, when we come in the public worship, we come there by union with him. That's wonderful that wonderful um, confirmation of that in Ephesians as the spirit carries Paul along and teaches and reminds us, we are seated with him uh, in the heavenly places, we are united to Christ, not by way of rule, while all things are for our sakes um. The the throne is not ours per se, but the nearness, the union, is all the way to the throne. It's there that we approach when we pray. The throne of glory is a throne of grace for us. And if we know that, then, how holy we ought to be uh, in our life in between the times of the public worship uh, in which we assemble on the earth and how we ought to prepare as we come, and how we ought to conduct ourselves in it, mindful of what it is that the Lord has brought us into by faith in the Lord Jesus. And then, of course, in the ultimate long-term way, uh, in order for our souls to enter the actual presence uh, in glory, we will have to be perfected. And so the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness. Without holiness, we will not see the Lord. Uh, But even our bodies have to be perfected. As 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us and teaches us, the corruptible cannot inherit the incorruptible. And it's not just they're talking about a new heavens and a new earth, uh, which the new heavens and the new earth will correspond to our glorified bodies. But our bodies themselves must be glorified in order to draw near to God, uh, as we will draw near to God, even physically, not just with our souls. But in the bodily resurrection, the new heavens and the new earth, we will draw near to God physically. And so we will have to have bodies uh, that are appropriate uh, to that. And we have that hinted at, uh, don't we? Particularly in uh, in the end of the last chapter, you remember, Uh, They could not have a defect that inhibited uh, their ability to fulfill their part. The priests couldn't have a defect that inhibited their uh, ability to fulfill their part uh, in administering the public worship. Uh, But here we see that it's not just the priests, uh, but uh, none of, oh, sorry, that's the, the third section. So we'll get to that. Uh, in the third section. Before we, before we come to the third section, however, we see in the second section <coughs> that those things that are made holy by their connection with the Lord, the holiness persists. So it's not like it's, it's used up in the service of the tabernacle, or uh, it's employed in the service of the tabernacle and then it ceases to be holy. No, if it continues to be holy, uh, and, uh, and they must Uh, Only those who are holy uh, may eat uh, of it. Uh, uh, Verse 10 through 16. Uh, And here uh, we see the covenantal holiness uh, of the household. The household being the fundamental unit of God's people. Uh, If you were a guest in the house, you were not a member of the household. But if you had been uh, purchased or adopted, then you had the head of the household as your covenant head, uh, and his consecration uh, qualified you to eat. If you're a daughter who had been under a priest and um, you married uh, outside of uh, the descendants of Aaron, uh, you became covenantally under your husband. You could not eat the holy food uh, at your Uh, at your dad's house anymore. Uh, But even if if her husband uh, put her away and she was divorced or her husband died and she was widowed, if she came back uh, in that condition to her father's house and she was under uh, his covenantal headship, then as a member of his household again, the privileges that belonged to that particular house in the visible church are privileges that belonged to her. And we know that the Lord still still operates in His church in his visible church in this way. Uh, we know that from the New Testament reference to household baptisms, if you were in the household of a man who was converted, uh, then you would be baptized as uh, as part of his household. You would be called a saint and not just of a man, but in God's uh, wonderful mercy in the New Testament church, He doesn't just call. Um, the children of believing father's saints, but even the child of a believing mother is holy, even if her husband isn't. The child is counted holy, and the child is counted as holy, uh, as if the father had been converted as well. Uh, So that uh, 1 Corinthians 7 tells her that if her unbelieving husband is willing to stay with her, God will treat her kid as if her Husband also was converted, and so the kid and the husband are counted holy for that covenantal purpose in, in the visible church and of course he addresses uh children as saints and uh, and so forth so we see the the biblical doctrine of the household uh the covenant household and uh, having uh, visible whatever visible church privileges uh, as uh, belong to the head of your house. Uh, in verses 10 through 13. So even before the Lord brought you to faith and you professed that faith and were admitted to the table, it is not a privilege of the visible church to eat without faith at the Lord's table or to eat in the wrong manner at the Lord's table. Uh, But it is a privilege of the church um, to be baptized, to be called saint, to be counted a member Uh, to draw near to God uh, in that external covenantal way as part of his worship assembly. And so we have that uh, taught uh, in verses 10 through 16. Uh, In the last place then, this uh, uh, necessity of bringing a sacrifice that is without blemish. It's not just. Yeah, it's God. You should give him the best stuff. That's true enough. Uh, but it's related to the sacrifice being a substitute for us, one with whom God identifies the worshiper in this picture way. Uh, as, uh, the life of whatever the animal was in itself is ended, uh, and it is slaughtered, uh, and the blood is applied to show where uh, what its new life its new purpose is as a sacrificial substitute as an offering a brought near thing uh and then uh whatever is done with it um you know for instance in the ascension offering the whole thing uh, is smokified because uh this that particular substitute uh indicates the ascension uh of the worshiper uh, and so it's not just for priests but uh, any man from the house of Israel, uh, or of the strangers who even dwell among Israel, uh, when they brought a sacrifice, the sacrifice could not have any of the defects in uh, chapter twenty two uh, and verse twenty two in particular, lists them and uh, and you can see uh, the relation of and near approximation. Uh, of those defects to the ones that had been mentioned towards the end of chapter 21 for the priests uh, who did the service of the tabernacle. Uh, and so it's a reminder that uh, the substitute was to, uh, to indicate or represent uh, the worshiper himself, He's identified with the worshiper himself ascending to the Lord, and therefore you shouldn't bring a sacrifice that wasn't fit for service. Uh, and the, uh, the only exception that it was given, uh, was, the the freewill offering, one of the, uh, one of the peace offerings, uh, where, uh, it's not something that, uh, has been vowed and so identified with the Lord or sent to him for the service. But you remember in the freewill peace offering, uh, that the fat parts, uh, belong to the Lord and they would be smokified upon the altar uh, but that that was the one from which the ordinary worshiper could eat part of it, and it was okay if there was something wrong with the ordinary worshiper's part uh and so a specific part not not even the whole of uh you know, still had to be blemishless in the other ways, but if there was a limb too long or too short, well that limb was part of was the roasted meat that the uh the worshiper could eat. Uh, and that was okay. But there could be uh, no defect, uh, and it could not be something that had already uh, received upon itself some uh, some beginning of death. You see that in verse 24. In order to be identified with the worshiper, you remember, it had to be slaughtered and there had to be application of blood. Uh, but here in verse 24, you mustn't offer to Yahweh anything that has been bruised or crushed or torn or cut. And uh, one of the great reasons then, therefore, is because the actual method of death, the slaughtering of the death, and the applying of the blood uh, was the the mechanism by which the Lord um, gave them a picture uh, of the animal becoming a substitute for them, the an- animal uh, standing in in their place. And so that needed... Uh, that needed to be uh, completely and totally just by the slaughtering that the Lord had commanded. Um, Nothing that uh, had uh, any indication of the very beginning uh, of a demise or their entire demise Uh, in another way, bruised, crushed, torn, cut, because they had not been identified with it and and those were not the ways by which the slaughter uh, was commanded to be done. Other rules then, uh, that uh, that went along with this uh, identifying with and drawing near to God uh, by means of uh, the substitute uh, included not slaughtering an animal uh, before the day uh, on which a, an Israelite would be covenantally recognized before the Lord. And so just as circumcision was on, Uh, as was on the eighth day so also an animal could not be offered as a substitute, as a sacrifice a brought near thing uh, until the eighth day the connections that belong to the animal uh, in this world were to be avoided uh, in in employing the animal as a brought near thing or a substitute so you would not sacrifice um, the mother uh, the animal's mother and the animal at the same time, uh, lest uh, any of its former life connections be maintained uh, at all. No, as uh, if the animal is going to be offered unto God, uh, its entire purpose uh, and existence now is to be considered uh, in terms of being the substitute that uh, that God uh, has offered. Uh, and this, of course, is, uh, helps us understand in verse, um, 29 uh, and 30, the prohibition, you remember, of, um, of eating it, um, on the second, or in some cases, you could have two days, but you couldn't eat it on the third day. Uh, that the eating of the meat that was offered in the fellowship offering or the Thanksgiving offering, uh, was a fellowship with god that was understood to take place uh as it were symbolically in heaven uh and so you don't get leftovers from heaven to eat on earth uh when the interaction with heaven was over uh then whatever uh was left over uh, had to be burned had to be destroyed uh it could not be uh left until morning uh, and so you have this this overall lesson in Leviticus 22 as a whole, that God really is providing, without relaxing his holiness, the ability for sinners on earth to interact with the holy God in heaven. And it anticipates a day when the Lord Jesus will be our tabernacle and our temple, and where the Lord Jesus would be our priest, and where the Lord Jesus would be the sacrifice, the substitute, the one in whom we draw near to God. Uh, And um, bless God that day uh, has come. Now the completeness of our actually having our souls brought to the actual presence of God, not just by faith in Christ and by mystical union with him, but entering into his presence, that doesn't come until you die. Um, And of having being bodily in his presence that of course doesn't come until the resurrection and so there are glories that are taught here uh, that we have not yet even come into but we know that they are certain we are know that they are we know that they are certain from god's word he has told us about them we know that they are certain because of the the sacrificial system that god here gave israel to teach them about them. We know that they are certain most of all, however, because they are in Christ and they have been secured by him. Uh, And the Spirit is now gathering and uniting to him through faith, all for whom he died. Uh, And when that work is done, then will come the day of resurrection. Then will come the blemishless, glorified body in which we will serve god in a new heavens and a new earth forever and in which we can actually be physically in the presence of the lord jesus not just um geog- not just by the um geography of our soul uh, as it were which comes at death so let us be amazed that god would bring us near and amazed that the lord jesus um is Uh, equal to the glory of God, and yet given to be our substitute, and that we may be united to him. And let us respond with a life of holiness now, a treasuring of public worship now, and a sure hope of our souls being with the Lord at death and our bodies being transformed uh, to be fit for the presence of the Lord at the resurrection. And let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this portion of your word. Thank you for Leviticus as a whole up until this point. And uh, even from Exodus 20 until now, where you have begun and ended by reminding your people that you had redeemed them out of Egypt, but that it was more about what you had redeemed them for than what you had redeemed them from, that you had redeemed them for yourself to draw near to you, to enter your presence, to have you as their God and for them to be your people, to be consecrated by you for your worship and for your service. And we thank you, Lord, that that which you did then for that nation and for that age of your church, that this you have done everlastingly and invisibly in Christ, and that even now in this uh, season of your uh, work upon the earth, that you have given us great privileges in the visible church, uh, for which we must be uh, careful and holy uh, in our conduct and in our worship uh, even now. Help us, O Lord, keep doing the work in us, we pray, by your Spirit that is necessary. Uh, And grant that when we come to leave this world, you would perfect us in holiness as is necessary and as you have promised, and that when the time comes to serve you bodily, that you would resurrect us with glorious bodies suitable unto the service that you will uh, welcome us into on the great day. So help us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.